would ask if you could please stand as we read our passage of scripture uh, for this morning, Genesis chapter 5, and uh, I'll be, be reading the whole chapter, Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man. When they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he had fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he had fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our hands and from the painful toil, from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem and Ham and Japheth. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. And let's pray one more time together. Holy God, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we see a list of, of people who are, in most cases, quite foreign to us. People who we have never met and, and people we know very little about, but from what you tell us here. 
Lord, we pray that as we look at this passage that you would help us to see in these people who you are. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see your faithfulness, your faithfulness to them and your faithfulness to us. Lord, we pray that as we consider this passage of Scripture, Lord, that we would, would understand what you are doing in the world and who we are before you. For most who are here this morning as Christians, but for those who are here with us this morning as unbelievers, we pray that, that you would work in their hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit that this genealogy of promise would become for them a promise of eternal life. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Amen. Well, what do you do when you come to a genealogy in Scripture? Skim it? Skip it? What is your attitude to the begatitudes? James Boyce comments that he says, if we were writing this book, we would leave the names out. But God does not. It's because he is more interested in people than we are. Friends, these are real people in Genesis 5. They, they are real people and they lived real lives. They died real deaths. At least most of them died real deaths. Their lives and their deaths have a message for us. They have a message for us personally. A poet John Donne wrote, No man is an island entire of itself. Each is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thine own or of thy friends were. Each man's death diminishes me, for I am involved in mankind. Therefore, send not to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. Understanding how the genealogies of Scripture fit together as a cohesive unit and how they fit as into the, the, the larger story of Genesis and of redemption history will help you to see what God is doing in the world. will help you to see what God is doing in your life. Understanding that this theological uh, purpose of these genealogies will go a long way to helping you to appreciate them and also to embrace them. Focusing on these individuals will help you to see the big picture of Scripture. Will help you to apply the, the message of Scripture to your own life and to your own death. So with Genesis chapter 5, having completed the narrative of creation, Moses had, had moved into genealogy. In fact, throughout the opening chapters of, of Genesis, from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11, Moses moves back and forth between narrative and genealogy. We finished the narrative portion with the middle of chapter 4, and we looked at, at two genealogies, the first two genealogies of Scripture, the genealogy of Cain and the genealogy of Seth. And with that, Moses closed out the first Toledot, the Toledot of the heavens and the earth. And remember, the Toledot means generations. There are, are ten 
toledotes or ten sections within the book of Genesis, each describing a particular piece of the puzzle of what God is doing in redemption history. Well, last week we, we saw, the, the, again, the genealogy of Cain and the genealogy of Seth, the, the two first offspring of Adam and Eve. We saw how those two genealogies are really contrasted with each other. They're, they're presented there for us in the latter half of Genesis 4 to, to, to shed light on each other. The, the first that, that we looked at, the, the genealogy of Cain, is a genealogy of the rejection of promise. The rejection of God's promise. Whereas the genealogy of Seth, the, the line of Seth is a genealogy of promise. And specifically the, the, the promise of the gospel. The promise of, the, of the, that first instance of the gospel that we read about in Genesis 3.15. Where the Lord God had told the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So the story of Genesis is really, and really of the Bible, is the story of, of two different groups of people. The, the seed of the serpent versus the seed of the woman. And it all comes forward, it all points forward to, to the, the seed of the woman in Jesus Christ who crushes the serpent's head. So, so this is the promise. This is the promise that, that Seth and his line held on to. That's the promise that Cain and his line rejected. So here with, with chapter 5, this really continues in this vein as it marks the beginning of the second Toledot, the, the Toledot of, of Adam that runs from Genesis 5.1 to Genesis 6.8. These are the generations of Adam, we're told. The first section, Genesis 5, then, is, is a genealogy that, that runs from, from Adam all the way through to Noah. Or more accurately, as we're going to see, it, it stretches really from, from God to Noah. It, this and then as such is, is such as really an expansion of the genealogy of Seth that we, wrote, wrote, that we read about at the end of chapter 4. So this morning we're going to see even further how, how Seth's genealogy stands in opposition and in contrast to the genealogy of Cain. We're going to see how, how there, there's similarities. In, in Cain's genealogy, there's an Enoch. Well, there's also an Enoch in Seth's genealogy. In Cain's genealogy, there's a Lamech. Well, there's also a Lamech in Seth's genealogy. And many of the other names are, are while not identical, are similar. Irad and Jared. Mahujael and Mahalalel. Methushael and Methuselah. Now, these similarities, as we're going to see, really highlight the differences between the line of Cain and the line of Seth. And so Seth's genealogy, as we saw last week, is a, is a genealogy of blessing. And that, that's who is being focused on, the, the, the genealogy of, of Adam through Seth on, into, on down to, to Noah. So this chapter is, is really a lot more positive than, than what we read about in, in Genesis chapter 4. So we, we read, first of all, that, well, actually, sorry, before that, we, I want to point something out here, that, that the word that's translated here, father, you, you see it again and again in this chapter. In fact, it's, it's here um, 23 times in this chapter. 
It's, it's translated begat in the King James. It's used 23 times in this chapter and only 17 more times in, in the rest of the whole of the Old Testament. And seven of those times are, are used in Genesis 11, which really is a, a parallel uh, to this genealogy here. Genesis 11 is another genealogy that, that tracks the, the line of, of God through Adam, through Seth. And it goes on then down to Abraham, the first Israelite. So again, this, this genealogy of Seth is a genealogy of promise. So, so here, we, it starts with the fact that God had, had made Adam in his likeness. And so there's a sense in which each father is, is then passing that likeness on to his son. So this genealogy is, is linear. It forms a, a straight line from father to son to son to son to son, all the way down to Noah. Its concern is with the firstborn of each, each generation and the transmission of the divine image and likeness from father to eldest son. But the focus is not, is they're not chosen because they are the eldest, they're chosen because they are chosen. This is the, the, the genealogy of God's promise through his electing grace. And so as we think about, about God's blessing on each successive generation, again, as I said at the beginning, each, each begat is really a beatitude. So again, this is a begatitude. Moses is showing us here the beginning and the continuation of God's promised blessings to his chosen people. So as Salehammer explains, this genealogy is a highly developed theological reflection on the promise that had been made concerning the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15. Friends, the Lord God was not surprised by the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. He had a plan from the beginning. And so this is a continuation. Genesis 5 is a continuation of God's eternal providential plan. As we walk through this chapter, you're, you're going to see 10 generations, 10 paragraphs that deal with the first 10 generations of the human race. So this is going to be a 10-point sermon. Wow, nobody gasped. Okay, that's the, okay we'll, we'll, we'll do that. Just, I'm just kidding. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at, at these, these genealogies in three main groups. In verses to five, we're going to be looking at God to Adam. And then in verses 6 to 21, from Seth to Enoch. And then in verses 25 to 32, from Methuselah to Noah. And I want you to take note of something. I hope you picked up on it as I was reading the, the chapter earlier. There, there's a repeated pattern here. And just, just look at it. You can just see it even here with the genealogy of, of Adam that, that's repeated um, again and again here. Actually, won't, no, don't do that one. Do uh, Genesis 6 instead. Um, sorry, Genesis 5, 6 to 8. Um, when so-and-so lived X number of years, he fathered such and such. And after he'd fathered such and such, he lived Y number of years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that so-and-so lived, X plus Y number of years, then he died. And so then the pattern repeats itself with, its son, with the son. And you're going to see that again and again and again in this chapter. So again and again, you're going to see these details. The age of the father at birth, at the birth of his eldest son. 
So the age of the father at birth was zero, but the age, the age of the father's uh, at the birth of his eldest son. Then you see the name of his son. Then you'll see that the number of years the father lived after the birth of his son. You see that he had father, other sons and daughters, and then the father's age at death. Okay, that's the pattern that repeats itself again and again here in this chapter. But, but there are times, in fact, three times, when this genealogy breaks away from that pattern. Now, when you're studying your Bible and you, and you see a pattern that, that's there in, in Scripture, when you, when you see that pattern, you need to take note not just of the, to the details of that pattern, and those are important, but you need to especially notice when, when, the, when the, the author, the Holy Spirit-inspired divine author, breaks away from that pattern. Because when he's breaking away from that pattern, he has a theological message that he wants you to understand. So it's, when, you, when you do this, you, it's going to help you to see the author's purpose in writing. And, and so the three deviations from the, the pattern we, we see in Genesis 5 are these. First, that, that God makes Adam in his likeness. And then Adam fathers Seth in his own likeness after his image. That, that's not repeated again and again. That's just there. And secondly, the refrain, and he died, is repeated for each generation apart from Enoch. Well, it's not really there for, for Noah yet, but it's, that's going to happen in, in Genesis chapter 9. And then third, Lamech hopes that Noah will bring relief from the curse of the ground. So these three deviations from the, this pattern of, of Genesis 5 have, have a very important theological message for us. These are things that the Holy Spirit-inspired human author wants us to understand, that the Lord wants us to understand who God is and what he is doing in the world. So first of all, in, in Genesis 5, 1 to 5, we, we see God to Adam. And Moses begins, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Now, Moses was not saying here this is a book in the, in the modern sense. Those weren't invented yet. But he's, he's simply saying that, that with his genealogy, he, he's drawing from an existent written source. Reasonable to conclude that, that other genealogies in Genesis were also from recorded sources. So he's saying this is something that was written down and that he, he had put together as, as part of the book of Genesis. So then, with that being said, the first thing that he does is reflect on God's creation of man and woman in his likeness, in the likeness of God. And this is, of course, relating back to Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, where God created male and female. And notice here that, that God created them male and female. It's very, very clear. Whereas some would rebelliously try to deny that. We need to remember that, that gender is not a social construct. It is not a psychological construct. Gender is a biological fact. It is a fact of God's creation. Again, this, this genealogy does not begin with Adam, but with God. It goes back to the very beginning, back to God. And so with the creation of, of man and woman came God's blessing of procreation. Men and women can't create, but under God's blessing, they can procreate. And this only comes through a, the union of a biological male with a biological female. And here Moses now moves from, from the, the general blessing of, of God to, hu to humanity as a whole back in Genesis 1.28 to Adam specifically. 
Now, our English Bibles don't pick up on this, but the name Adam means man. And so, so by using this, this same word four times here in these first three verses, um, Moses is transitioning, again, from the, the general to the personal, from humanity to one person, to Adam, to the person Adam. And so the pattern begins to emerge. But with verse 3, we also see the first divergence from the pattern. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Now, God had created Adam in his likeness. Notice now that Adam fathers Seth in his own likeness after his image. This genealogy, again, starts with God. God created Adam in his image, in his likeness. And so Adam was, was meant to mirror God, to reflect God, to be a representation of God's communicable attributes, his, his holiness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his love, and, and so on. But we know what happened. Adam rebelled. He fell, and sin entered the world. The, the Lord had commanded Adam not to eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but Adam sinned. And so the image of God would be marred. Death would come for those in the line of Adam. Death had already visited Adam's family through his firstborn Cain. And death would come for Adam as well. God's sentence of death is, is not just an empty threat as the serpent had alleged. Yet even in this, God is seen as blessing Adam with life, with the life of a son. We need to remember that, that the fact that, that, the fa that people are being born at all is an immense blessing from the Lord. And notice that, that he also has other sons and daughters, but, but these sons and daughters are not the line of promise. So we have Adam here passing his image, corrupted though it is, to the chosen seed of Seth. Calvin said that the image of God is still found in man's soul, not totally annihilated by the fall, but frightfully deformed. Yet it is through this line, through this promised line, that God's promise would be fulfilled. So Adam lived another 800 years after the birth of, birth of Seth, and he died at the ripe old age of 930. And Noah was the first person born after the death of Adam. We need to think about just how long this lifespan was and, and how many generations Adam saw. But as we consider Adam fathering a son in his image, and the impact that, that Adam had on his son. What image are you passing along for your children? And even if you don't have children yet, what, what is the, the image that you will pass along through your children? And the choices that you make now will have an impact on your children for good or for ill. But as we said during the kids' time, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, you can never hope to have a godly seed. You can never hope to, to have children that, that are, are following after, after the Lord if you are not raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And if, if you don't fear the Lord, you're certainly not going to raise them in that way. 
all of us need to cultivate a, a healthy and, and godly fear of God. A, a, a fear that, that, that not, not the, the fear, not an abject fear, but a, a, a respectful fear. That we might seek to, to inculcate that to our children in the hopes that, that in due time they will see the gospel through our lives and that they will witness the way that, that the gospel has changed us and they will hear the gospel spoken from our lips and then they will say, that's something that I want. I see the difference that, that God has made in, in mom's life and dad's life and, and I want to live that kind of a life. It's only by the grace of, of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So here we see God's blessing coming to fruition through Adam. God created human beings in his image, and human beings are procreating. God is blessing his chosen people. But even still here, in this line of promise, we have the sobering reality of death. Death still comes. With that, then, let's look at our second group. From verses 6 to 21. Seth to Enoch. And we'll see the repetition of this pattern with Seth. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he'd fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. If you remember from last week, from Genesis 4 verses 25 and 26, that the name Seth means appointed. Eve understood that Seth had been appointed in place, not in the place of, of Cain, who was of the line of the serpent, but in place of Abel, whom Cain had killed. Now, Seth's son, as you remember, is Enosh. And Enosh means frail man. Now, this doesn't sound like a name that, that very many of us would, would want to be called frail man. But we need to understand this name theologically. The significance of this name is really an echo of the name of his grandfather, Adam, but with an additional emphasis. So his name means man, but the emphasis here is on human weakness and on human frailty. And this weakness and frailty leads to a reliance on the Lord, for it's in Genesis 4.26 that we read that during the time of Enosh, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Now again, in verses 12 to 20, we see a repeat of the pattern with Kenan, Mahalalel, and Jared. Now we don't know very much about these men because they're not found anywhere else in the Bible apart from the genealogy of, of Luke in Luke 3, 23 to 38. But regardless of their low profile, these men are uh, amongst the most important in human history. These, these are very important names because they play a vital role in the achievement of the Lord God's plan for the fulfillment of his promise and the redemption of his people. So don't just gloss over these names. Think about, about who they are and who they are in God's plan. Now again, we can, we can perhaps get a bit of a glimpse, again, theologically from, from their names because remember that, that the names in biblical times were meant to represent the person. It was meant to represent who the person was. So first, the name Kenan sounds similar to Cain. In fact, the King James spells it C-A-I-N-A-N, like Cain. And he was the youngest father in this genealogy, fathering Mahalalel at the relatively youthful age of 70. 
I feel like I'm an old dad. Now, Mahalalel has, has a beautiful name. It means God is praiseworthy. And he also became a father younger, of most of the, younger than most of the men in this genealogy, fathering Jared at the tender age of 65. Jared means to go down or to descend. Um, H.C. Leopold suggests that this might be referred to a decline in longevity since to this point, the recorded lifespans of people until Jared were shorter than, than Adam's. He had this, but but uh, Jared would go on to have the, the second longest lifespan in human history. We need to be careful. We don't go too far with this that, so we don't resort to, to speculation. But, but there is a, a theological meaning that, that we can gain um, from, from, in most cases, from looking at these names. Now moving on to Enoch in verses 21 to 24. Here we, we get a, a, a major deviation from the pattern. But before we get to that, first remember that the name, that remember that Cain also had a son named Enoch. The name Enoch means dedication. Cain's son Enoch had likely received that name as Cain dedicated a city to him. A city that Cain really had no business building since, since God had sentenced him to a nomadic life. But this Enoch on the other hand, was dedicated to God. While Cain was driven from the presence of the Lord, Enoch had intimate fellowship with him. Enoch is the seventh generation from Adam. And in, biblical, in the biblical account, the, the seventh generation is, is, a, is a very important position. And we're told here twice that Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. This points to communion and to fellowship and to obedience. His life was characterized by devotion to the Lord. It's reminiscent of the fellowship that, that Adam had rejected in his sin in the garden. Because when, when God was walking in the garden, what did Adam do? He hid himself. But Enoch instead walked with God. We also see that, that Noah is, we'll, we will see in, in Genesis 6 that Noah is described as one who walked with God. And Noah was a, a righteous man, blameless in his generation. So that's walking with God is, is tied to, to, to being righteous and being blameless. Again, obedience. W.R. Bowie says that this paragraph shines like a brilliant star above the earthly record of this chapter. The simplicity of the repeated walk with God suddenly breaks into the formula that had begun with, to, to close um, the round of, with Enoch, like the rest, portrays the intimacy that is the essence of Old Testament piety. This, rather than the harsh moralism that's popularly associated with the Old Testament, is Enoch's common ground with Noah, of whom alone this particular phrase recurs, Genesis 6-9, with Abraham, also the friend of God. With Moses, who spoke to God face to face. With men such as Jacob and Job and, and Jeremiah, who wrestled with him. So, so friends, understand what, what Bowie is saying here. He's saying this, this walking with God shows that, the, the, that God wasn't, wasn't calling to, for legalism in the Old Testament and, and faith in the New Testament. He's saying that, that even back there in the Old Testament, that a relationship with God was one of intimacy. It was one of, of faith. 
and the obedience that comes from that faith. And what was the result of Enoch's walk with God? Verse 24, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. God took him. He did not die. Enoch didn't die. This is a privilege that he shares only with Elijah, who was taken up by the whirlwind in 2 Kings 2.11. And so Enoch is pardoned. He's pardoned from the sentence that's upon his predecessors and upon his progeny. Hebrews 11.5 tells us how it was by faith. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Friends, Enoch has the shortest lifespan in this genealogy at only 365 years. Little more than a third of, of several of the others in this genealogy. And so, so long life is not the greatest blessing that one can receive. It's fellowship with God. And, and so with this, with this, this singular incident of, of and, he, and he was not for God took him, is meant to stand in stark contrast to, to the rest of the names in this genealogy. The other nine men who are presented here all died. Over and over and over again we read in this chapter, and he died. And this was the end of the story for each of these men. And the same could be said of you. The same could be written of, of your life. In fact, if the Lord tarries, the same will be said of you. You lived so many years, fathered or, or mothered, so-and-so, and then died. Now, for, for many of us in this room, death might seem like it's a long way away, and it might be. But it might come sooner than you think. So again, like we read in the poem, ask not for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. But you're invited into the same fellowship with God that Enoch had. You too are invited to walk with God. You can't see God, but you can know God. The Christian faith is, is not assent to a set of, of theological presuppositions. It is a relationship with a person. It is a relationship with the Most High God. And you are invited into that relationship. Many, if not most of us here, have entered into that relationship. We're experiencing a personal and vital relationship with the God of the universe. And so we, we count ourselves blessed more blessed than, than, than the vast number of people on the planet because we have a relationship with the God of the universe. Finally, let's consider the, the third grouping from verses 25 to 32, Methuselah to Noah. Again, this pattern is repeated with Methuselah. Now, within the name of Methuselah's name is, is uncertain. Some suggest that it means the a man of the spear, but, but given the context, I believe it's more likely that his name means when he dies, it shall be sent. That's appropriate because Methuselah is the oldest living person in the Bible. 
He lived 969 years. But the oldest person to ever live is less than 1,000 years old. As we read about it in Psalm 94, or as we sung about earlier, 1,000 years is like a single day to the Lord. It's just a blip. But to us, from our perspective, it's a very, very long time. Now, as an aside, uh, longevity will be drastically reduced after the flood to the three score and ten that we read about in Psalm 90. But, but as we'll see, uh, again, long life is not the greatest blessing. It's not the greatest blessing. It's fellowship with God. I'm sure that, that some are, are probably wondering why people lived so much longer before the, the, before the flood. And there's all kinds of, of theories out there about genetics and, and about atmospheric pressure and, and higher oxygen levels. But we need to be careful not to rely on speculation. Having a, a biblical worldview simply means taking the Bible at its word. As accepting the testimony of Scripture, even though such lifespans are far outside of our personal experience and we can't explain them. The Scriptures don't set out to tell us why or how, simply that they were. And so as people of faith, we accept this by faith. Methuselah fathered Lamech. And remember Cain's offspring, Lamech, diametrically opposed to this Lamech. Remember that Lamech whose, whose name meant humility but displayed pride in his sin, wickedly killing a young man and then boasting about it. And his notoriety uh, was, was for wickedness. But, but this Lamech's notoriety is through his son and, and specifically the hope that he expresses in his son. He says, Out of the ground that the Lord had cursed, this one shall bring us relief from the painful toil of our hands. There in verse 29. And so this is an obvious reference to the curse. For the ground was cursed because of Adam's sin. But not just to the curse, it's to the hope of the offspring that would overturn the curse. So he hopes that, that through Noah, there will be a sense in which the curse begins to be overturned. And you can see this also in, in Noah's name, which means rest. Lamech grieves over the pain of the world and longs, longs for his offspring to bring relief. And relief will indeed come through Noah, but only after the greatest catastrophe this world has ever seen, apart from one. In this catastrophe, every man, woman, child, animal, and plant on earth will be wiped out by a global flood. Only Noah, his family, and the animals on the ark will be spared. So there, there, there is hope. There is a, a spark of hope as the line of promise still continues through Noah. Moses closes here with, after Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem and Ham and Japheth. And here's where the, where the genealogy goes a little bit sideways. To talk about these, these, three, these three sons of Noah that we'll read about um, later on in, in the generations of Noah from, in the next Toledot from, uh, in Genesis 6, 9 and following. So the sense in which in this, in this chapter we see that, that through these names, through these people that, that God has chosen, He is blessing 
And, and ev- with this, everything is moving constantly forward toward the redemption that comes in Jesus Christ. There's another genealogy that we read about in Scripture that, that might be familiar to you. I hope it's familiar to you. I referred to it earlier from, from Luke chapter 3. If you turn with me in your Bible, please, to, to Luke chapter 3. And we'll look at, and just very quickly at verses 23 to 38. Luke seems to have, have drawn heavily from this genealogy in, in writing from his, the genealogy in Genesis 5 when he, put this, when he included this genealogy in his gospel account. And so this is the, the genealogy of, of Jesus going from, from his, his adopted father Joseph there in, in verse 23 all the way down to Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God in Genesis 38. So Luke there is, is making very clear that, that the genealogy of, of God through Adam, through Seth, and, and on through that, that progeny moved ahead and that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. Jesus is the, is the ultimate one to whom that genealogy and, and all genealogies of God's elect ultimately point. We also need to have a, a quick look at, at Romans chapter 6, or Romans chapter 5 rather. In Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 20, 12 to 21. We see here uh, again that the really the, the, the two genealogies, the, the genealogy of, of rejection of promise and the re- genealogy of promise, the genealogy of death and the genealogy of life. Verse 12 of, of Genesis 5, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. You see that? So, so death spread from Adam to the entire human race. So yes, there's a sense in which in which that genealogy of, of God through Adam through Seth is a genealogy of promise, even as we saw in Genesis 5, that, that all of these people died. Death spread to all men through Adam, our federal head. And so verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses. But in verse 15, we see, we see a... a we see another, we see another genealogy taking form. In fact, actually, there at the end of verse fourteen, the, the transgression of Adam was a type or a, a picture of the one who is to come. Who is the one who is to come? Jesus Christ. For in verse fifteen, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace of that one man, Jesus Christ abounded for many. So friends, death came through Adam and spread through Adam, but life comes through Jesus Christ and spreads through him. So all of us in this room were born as children of Adam. We were all born as the seed of the serpent. But we've been translated from being the seed of the serpent to becoming the seed of Christ. The genealogy of promise. And that happens through God's grace. Just one final passage. Please look at Ephesians um, chapter 2. This was, was read for us earlier in the call to worship. In verses 1 to 10, 
Again, you, that's all of us, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We followed the world. We followed sin. We followed Satan. We were all rebels against God. We were all by nature the children of wrath. But then in verse 4, God's grace happens. But God, being rich in mercy, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So all of us, if we were here as a Christian this morning, have been transferred through adoption in Jesus Christ from being part of the line of Satan, the line of the serpent, and being transferred to the line of Jesus Christ. So this genealogy, this genealogy of, of Seth, this genealogy of promise is your genealogy. This is your genealogy in Jesus Christ. So this morning, as you consider what God was doing in the world, what God was doing in the world through these individuals, through these ten chosen men, Think about what he's doing in your life. Think about, about which genealogy you are part of. Are you here this morning as part of, of the genealogy of rejection of the promise of God or of acceptance and of embracing of the promise of God? And, and that promise can be yours in Jesus Christ. You too, like Enoch, can receive life, eternal life. You too can walk with God and will not die in the ultimate and most important sense. Let's pray together. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that, that we have received in Christ Jesus. We pray that, that your grace in us will abound for your glory and for the building of your church. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to, to lay hold and to preach these glorious promises to our, ourselves that we might have hope in the midst of trials. We might have comfort in the midst of pain. And Lord, that we might even have, have faith that, that you are able to save even the, the most rebellious of our offspring by your sovereign grace. We pray, Lord, that your grace would abound for our children and our children's children and on into the future, Lord Jesus, until you return. For we ask this in your beautiful name. Amen.